This is a test. The Nerd World Order is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. If this had been an actual emergency, the signal you just heard would have been followed by the phrase... Ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd World Order, this is the Nerd World Order broadcast. I am the man that you call Dukes, and this is... Your boy, Joe. And we have with us Matt. Hey, what's going on, guys? How's everybody doing out there? Hopefully well. This is a Nerd World Order gaming broadcast, which is why we always bring on the expert Matt to talk about everything gaming. Uh, So, Matt... Why don't you open it up, let us know what we're going to be talking about today, what you'd like to talk about first. Analog ST, uh, I got the Super, uh, I'm sorry, Analog Super NC and an Analog Mega SG. And what those are is they're, uh, they're new consoles that play retro games. So they'll play uh, the Sega Mega SG, what's well, the Analog Mega SG, it was uh, basically a Sega Genesis and that'll play like old school games in 1080p. And the Super NT is the Super Nintendo that plays those games in 1080p. But it's not an emulator. They actually play the games. So it uses like FPGA software, which is a, a software that basically understands and makes it think the way like those systems actually thought. So you're replicating the way the game would actually have been played. Um, those things are awesome. So if you guys are in the retro community and you want something new to check out, uh, the Super NT is old, but the Mega SG just came out. And it is the best way to play Super Nintendo or Sega games this day and age. Staying on the retro stuff for a second, we did have somebody write in with a question. Alan, thanks for grabbing that question. Cage Free wrote us, and he asked, what is better, owning a classic system and games for those systems or virtual consoles? I don't know. It depends on the game. I like the classic system because it takes me back. Because my next-door neighbor, Chad, had a Sega, so I got one. I thought it was pretty cool. And then I realized later on that Nintendo had a better system because they had Tecmo Bowl, Ninja Gaiden, and Double Dribble, all kinds of dope games. So let me throw in my opinion. For me, having the actual physical retro game is just way better because, for me, it gives you the opportunity to relive the moments that whether it be the fact that I didn't play Nintendo or I love my Sega Genesis back in the day, it feels like you're actually back in those moments. So emulators are cool. And I think the technology with emulators is really cool. But when it comes down to feeling like you're in the moment, you're back in the nineties or the two K's enjoying those games that you grew up with, you enjoy playing. There's nothing like having that actual physical console. So uh, emulator yeah all day it's definitely more convenient but for the feel i'm gonna say you have to have the physical original copy of the console in your hands in your house yeah i kind of agree with you with the physical i definitely obviously i definitely prefer the physical i'm collecting things um you know i like playing the games the way they were meant to be played and that's why i picked up the the mega sg and the super nt um the digital comes into play specifically for me with hard to find games so like the wii virtual console which uh, unfortunately shut down was probably the best like digital console that we had because there was a bunch of like turbo graphic 16 games on there that were like really expensive and hard to find so to get stuff that's like for you know eight bucks 15 bucks you can you can buy a game that would otherwise cost you 300 dollars or something like that 
that that those aspects are really cool. But if it's not that, like, then I'd prefer the physical copy always over the digital one. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because uh, let's just use TurboGrafx-16 as a perfect example. It's one of those consoles that came out, wasn't very popular, even though for its time, the technology was great, the graphics were great, but now when you go to find those, it's pretty much impossible, and the price that you pay is very inflated. So to your point, $15, $20 to play that game that has been sought out for a long time, but you can't get, totally worth it, because sometimes, even though you like the physical nature of the game, the reward, it's it's not worth to pick up that TurboGrafx-16 console and then spend hundreds of dollars on the cartridges when there's very little difference between what you get with the emulator as opposed to what you get when you actually play the game. And yeah, there's 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 an element involved with being a collector, and that's cool. I love collecting as well, but at some point, it's just like, hey, if you just want to play, if you just want to be a gamer, emulators can definitely bridge that gap. Bro, you just said TurboGrafx-16, bro. Ain't no one playing that. You can't find it anymore because ain't nobody bought it. I mean, I, I don't have a, a TurboGrafx-16, but I would really like to have one. That would be awesome. They have some really good games on that system that, you know, that only came out on that system. So it's either digital or maybe one day I'll get lucky enough to buy one of those things. Yeah, it's it's definitely you have the TurboGrafx-16. You guys might remember, like, the Atari Jaguar. Oh, yeah. So, those systems, everybody just completely disregarded when they came out. But when you look at it in retrospect, those games were good, but now we can't find them because nobody bought them at the time. Production was limited. So to Joe's point, like nobody thought the TurboGrafx-16 or the Atari Jaguar would be anything anybody wanted, which is now why the emulator is filling that gap so well. And then I wanted to update you guys, too. I uh, I know Joe is highly interested in this. Um, we had an update on Devil May Cry's butt censorship. On uh, on PS4, la- the last episode that we talked about, uh, PS4 were censoring some of their games, and they put this lens flare up to, uh, to hide a butt in Devil May Cry. So I got this article uh, via Push Square. Uh, they took it from Wall Street Journal, so it was like an article from an article. But Sammy Barker wrote this. Uh, While the specifics of its regulations remain under wraps, a Wall Street Journal report on recently introduced policies revealed that the Japanese company has become increasingly concerned that its global reputation could take a hit from sexually explicit content sold in a few markets, America. The messed up part is they're not providing them any guidelines. So you're a publisher, you're investing all this money into the game, you might have you know, a butt shown in a game or something, you have no idea what Sony's going to do. They might send the game right back to you and be like, nope, you got to take X, Y, and Z out of your game. Well, that that all costs time and money. Like, why aren't they? Why is Sony not giving these people the guidelines ahead of time? That's my that's my main take on it. Is you know at least give them the guidelines that you're using to to t- to say these things aren't happening. Matt, anytime you talk about a game needs to go back into reproduction because Sony's laying down like additional guidelines that are after the fact, that's going to cost more money. Do you think? that that would increase the price of Sony games because obviously if a developer looks at it like, oh, 
it's going to cost this much to make Xbox game, but I know that there's going to be post-production with a Sony game, so it's going to be an additional 10%. Do you just see the developers eating that cost, or do you think it's going to be passed on to the consumer? I think the developers are just going to eat that cost. I think there's way too much competition out there, especially with uh, you know digital games. And if, if you buy physical physical games, like they go on sale pretty quick nowadays. Um, I just think there's way too much competition for them to come out with any higher price point, whether it be physical or digital. They ha- they have to hit you know at least at least the sixty dollars standard that we're currently at. It, it can't be it can't be a penny more than that. Hey Matt, what do you think? What do you think this is gonna do, say, for Xbox? So do you think because they're censoring out a lot of the stuff on games, that they might lean towards making their game and only for like a, uh, a system like the Xbox platform, because right now they don't have no spens- uh, censorships. So do you think that's going to be something in Xbox's favor to help them think like, well, if PlayStation is doing, or if Sony's doing this, then why don't we not do that? Cause we'll get that business and those consumers, the big games and us. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think Microsoft uh, probably will do that. Nintendo, the funny thing is Nintendo is in the conversation too. So some of these games are coming out on Nintendo's platforms and Nintendo does not censor their games either. Like they go by the same guidelines, like the ESRB or, you know, whatever Japan has a different regulation board. So you can see stuff on Nintendo that you can't see on PlayStation. But yeah, I I think that they would be more likely to go to Xbox, but Xbox also has a lot. A lot of these games are from Japanese publishers and, and Xbox doesn't have let's say the strongest relationship with them so right. it's still it's still a barrier for them to overcome so that just sounds like x or uh, microsoft needs to get their third party license going in japan pretty much if i was yeah. them i'd be like yo let's just go see if we can still devil man cry and put it on our system only for us because we won't censor them you know what i mean if they're smart enough they would do something like that i would think you're definitely already starting to see that though. It's funny you mentioned Devil May Cry because that was a it was a third party partnership with them. So like when they ran commercials and stuff, um, they they couldn't say only on Xbox because it wasn't only on Xbox. But at the end of the commercials, it'll have an Xbox logo, so it'll start putting into people's minds. They'll start associating the games with Xbox. Sony's right. been doing that for a long time, so they actually did do that with Devil May Cry. And Phil Spencer, who was the he's basically like the head of Microsoft, or not the head of Microsoft, the head of Xbox essentially. He uh he was just in Japan last week, uh, meeting with different people. He didn't say what his business was there, but I have a feeling it has to do with you know getting people ready for the next system, making sure these Japanese developers are on board for you know when those new systems hit. But another thing you got to look at it too is like in your opinion, I know it's like a it's like Coke or Pepsi, but do you think Xbox can handle those type of games as far as graphics and the bandwidth or whatever? You know more about that technology stuff than I do, but you know what I mean? Like the grab, can they handle that software better or just as good as Sony? They can handle it better depending on what system you have. Like the uh, Xbox One X is the most powerful console that you can purchase. That's Microsoft loves to advertise it like, like that, but it's true. Um, you can get a better PC. You can totally buy a stronger PC, but right. the Xbox One X is a, a pretty big leap above the PlayStation 4 Pro. So they, they okay. can handle anything. Flipping it over to Sony, they had a thing called State of Play. It was their first time doing this. I guess they're going to have, basically Nintendo does these things every once in a while, like a couple days before they release one. They're going to, they put up like a blast, like, hey, Nintendo Direct in two days on this day, this time. And you, it's basically a YouTube video. It's usually about 10 minutes long and it shows like games that are coming soon from them. Sony's oh, okay, starting yeah. to do the same thing now. Oh, okay. 
and they're calling their state a play. So this was the first time they did one. A lot of people had problems with it, and I, I kind of get why. I don't know what they were expecting. It was exactly what I was expecting. It was some, you know, some smaller titles that weren't going to get a lot of love. Got, you know, a whole 10-minute segment. And it was heavily focused on VR, which is another reason I think people didn't like it. But um, they showed, like, Concrete Genie, which is a, a, a new game coming out from uh, in-house Sony Studios. Everybody's Golf VR. Blood and Truth, Five Nights at Freddy's. And there's a No Man's Sky update with VR, which looks absolutely awesome. But for you guys, I know the most thing you guys would be excited is they are making an Iron Man VR game. Oh, so, very nice. And that look, from what I've heard, like the people that got a chance to play it said it was fantastic. That's actually pretty cool. I don't have a uh, VR or Oculus Rift headset right now, but that would make me go out and get that to be Iron Man. And then uh, something that got announced shortly after that, I saw an article on Push Square. Uh, Liam Croft wrote Wolfenstein's The Young Blood is coming on July 26th. And they also announced Wolfenstein's Cyber Pilot, which is uh, basically like a $20 VR game that's going to have you know VR missions set in well, the Wolfenstein world where you take control of you know different Nazi war machines. So you're basically controlling a whole bunch of different Nazi war machines. Uh, I'm sure some of them will be like real, like tanks and stuff, and some they're going to be like completely over the top. Which, if you ever played Wolfenstein and stuff in that game, is just crazy. So that's something I'm really excited about. I have I have VR. I, I like VR a lot. Killing Nazis in VR sounds fantastic to me. So I was excited to hear that. Another thing I think you guys are going to be interested in. This is awesome. Sega announces their new mini slash Mega Drive that's going to be coming out later this year in the West. It's going to be priced at $79.99 in North America. They just updated this list today with more games. So, so far we got Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania Bloodlines, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Toe Jam and Earl Comic Zone, Sonic the Hedgehog, Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes, Sonic and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Earthworm Jim, Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, World of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, Thunder Force 3, Super Fantasy Zone, Shinobi 3, I know that like you like that, Joe, Streets of Rage 2, and Contra Hardcore and Landstalker. What's that do for you guys? It actually creates a huge dilemma for me because most of the games that you mention, I currently own on a classic arcade game that I bought for the Xbox. It's just a disc. I have a disc. It has a lot of those games. And I know that both uh, Nintendo and Sega are really moving towards these uh, mini consoles. What's the reason for that? Because at this point... If you can buy all the games, if you can download them, if you can put them on disc, what's the real motivation to come out with these additional, you know, little mini systems where you get to play all the classic games? That's a great question. Um, So basically what had happened, Nintendo obviously did theirs, right? Nintendo released the NES Classic. That thing was huge. They sold out of them. They stopped making them. Nobody could find them. Everybody was mad. Then they they announced they were going to do the Super Nintendo Classic. And when they announced that, they said, look, I know, we know everybody's pissed. We're going to re-release the NES Classic. You know, basically like six months after the Super Nintendo Classic comes out, they're going to go back and make, make make a whole production line of the NES Classic. So they did that. And they, they made tons and tons of them, sold a bunch, millions, made a lot of money. PlayStation was like, cool, us too. But they didn't do it right. First of all, they released the North American version, right? It had PAL territory games on it. There was 20 games total. And I think, like, 
over half the games were from PAL, which if you don't know what PAL is, PAL is uh, from, from Europe, it's the European versions of the games, and you're saying, okay, so it's just from Europe. They use different frame rates in Europe, so the game has like a significant slowdown, and like half the games on there would not feel the way that they felt when you played them back in the day. When you turned the system on, there was it was very bare bones. Like They slapped it together as quickly as possible and threw a $100 price tag on it, and no one bought it. And that's what Sega is realizing now. So why is this important? Well, M2 is making this. M2 is like a renowned in-house Sega studio that does a lot of really good emulation for their games. They make like these, uh, they'll go back and they'll take one old Sega title at a time, but they'll remaster it. So the emulation of it is like fantastic. They make sure it's in like really pristine condition. And M2 is going to be doing this. They were using this other company called At Games, who were making like, you know, not the best quality hardware. And their emulation was it was it was fine. It, it it was what it was, but the fact that this is made in house by M2 means these games are probably going to come with like a, a a better quality than anything Sega's released probably in the past, you know, since the original Genesis. I would say it would be comparable to like a burger versus a steak. Now you're actually getting steak instead of just the burger that we gave you before. That's definitely a good food analogy. And then let's see, we got a Castlevania. Uh, we talked about that last week, too. So they just announced a couple more of their games, so they, they rounded out the collection. So now Castlevania is going to have Castlevania 1, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, Super Castlevania 4. Uh, the new ones they announced today were Bloodlines, Kid Dracula, which is only, uh, formerly it was only in Japan until this release, and then Castlevania The Adventure, which was a Game Boy game, and Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, which is notori- notoriously... Hate it for pretty good reasons, but, you know, a lot of people like it still. I'm not, I don't know, not the best Castlevania game in my opinion. So, so walk me through Castlevania, because I can say that, of course, my exposure to Castlevania was on the Game Boy. It was hard, so I didn't play it very much. Overall, what's the concept behind Castlevania, and why is it so popular that it continues to have so many incarnations? The game is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. There's different versions of them. Some of them aren't the best, like the you know the Nintendo 64 one was notoriously not very good. They all have like the same like family bloodline essentially is like coming back to to kill Dracula. There's like the Belmonts, and you know there's like Richter Belmont is in a couple of the games, but it's the, the gameplay itself is what, what really hooks you. It's the, the way the game plays. And it's, it was basically like a horror game before horror games existed. If you played the old ones on the NES, there was nothing like that, that really had like a horror feel to it. So even though it wasn't intended to be a horror game, it still kind of would spook you. If you were, you know, a, a kid that, that was like the most scariest thing you could see on the NES at the time. So it really had its own feel, and that still has a good feel today. And if, if you ever played uh, Symphony of the Night, it was a PS1 game. That's that's a game that everybody should play. Like, the Symphony of the Night was was fantastic. But I think it's the gameplay and, like, the, the history and the story that get people addicted to it, and that's why they're still interested in, t- in it today. So do you have a personal favorite Castlevania? Symphony of the Night, by far, is is the best Castlevania game. So that unfortunately that's not in here, but I'm I'm looking forward to playing Bloodlines. Bloodlines is uh, was actually a Sega Genesis game, and to if you were to try to buy that today, it's about about an eighty dollar game. I haven't bought that yet, but I might download this so I can check out that game. Based on uh, what you're saying, I'm probably gonna take an opportunity to check this out 
Yeah, you should. If you're interested in this, um, I mean, if you want to start at the the pinnacle, like they they released a. It's on PlayStation Four. I forget what it's called, but there's two Castlevania games that came out together. It's like Rondo of Blood and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You can buy those today. They're like fifteen bucks for both games, and Symphony of the Night alone is easily worth fifteen dollars. Do you guys play phone games at all? I tried to play like the, uh, let's say the Marvel Contest of Champions or something from WWE, all those different fighting games. And at some point, the the different controls just become a little bit too repetitive, so I just stopped playing. For me, it's not so much the controls. It's like to, for you to get anywhere in those those games on the phones, you got to pay money. Yes, you do. So to get the best character, you got to spend the money. Speaking of money, Apple announced that they're going to be doing a subscription service for uh, for iPhone games. Basically, they're going to be calling it the Apple Arcade. And they didn't announce what the price of it's going to be. So they said, oh, you're going to get 100 game, new games. You know, right off the bat, there'll be 100 games. You can play them as much as you want. Um, I believe I read that they're going to be able to download them. They said there won't be any ads. There won't be any additional in-app purchases. But they also didn't talk about the price. So I don't understand why you would even bother having a press conference if you're not going to make up the one thing that everyone cares about. Absolutely. And initially that sounds exciting, specifically for the reason that Joe just mentioned is because a way that most of these game developer, app developers make their money now are through the in-game purchases. You know, if you, you reach a certain level and you're stuck, you have to make an in-game purchase. So the questions that come to mind for me, number one, in order for this to work, it seems like Apple would have to bring this in-house because there isn't much motivation for the developers to make games that don't have in-app purchases. And number two, the price would have to be pretty high in order for if we have third-party developers working with apple for this the monthly subscription has to be pretty high in order for the developers to want to jump on board so to your point money is going to be the biggest factor here are people really going to want to spend let's say ten dollars a month fifteen dollars a month to get unlimited gameplay when they probably only want to play one or two games i don't know so it'll be pretty interesting to see what that price is because i think that'll make the difference on whether people want to buy it yeah i agree i mean you ever drive by a house that doesn't have the price on it Woo! i don't think your boy's gonna be moving in that house today <laughs> so you know like i think i think to, to piggyback on both of you man like i think no prices on something is not good and i don't think that's gonna bring anybody in because you know nowadays dude people don't want to spend a lot of money up front but they're willing to pay later on through additions and updates, you know, like, you know, games that you can get new different skins for, you know, like uniforms for whatever character you want to be or extra content. They're willing to pay more money over time than a lot of money up front, which is weird because in actuality, you're still going to end up paying more later than the initial price up front. If you tell me like $15 and my son asked me like, oh, can I download this game? And you know, I'm like, how much is it, son? And he's like, $15. I'm like, hey, slow down, son. I'm not made of money. <laughs> but if he asked me for a dollar for a skin, to Joe's point, I'm like, oh, what's a dollar? And he asked me like three times a week. The next thing I know, I've spent more money on a game than if I would have just paid the 15 bucks. But, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see because 
there's almost a psychology involved in paying a small amount over time to Joe's point. And I don't know if Apple is really ready to recondition the app playing public to the idea that they're just paying one large amount as opposed to the small incremental buying, which people just don't think about. So I don't think this is going to work because small incremental buying micropayments, people don't feel. But when you tell me you're going to take $15 every month, people feel that. And I don't feel like people are going to adopt this model. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, and it's not only that. Apple's conditioned you since the beginning of the iPhone. They put all this free-to-play garbage on their phones. They allowed – there was no curation. The gates were wide open. You guys can put on any kind of garbage game you want on there, put it up for free, and then we're going to charge you later on the back end. Hopefully, we'll make some microtransactions off of you. And now, all of a sudden, you're going to be making people pay up front. Like, I think it's good that they're going to try to change the game, but I also say to them, good luck, because I, I think you're going to have a real – real hard sell on people who are used to playing games for free on your phone for such a long period of time. So what do you guys feel about cheaters? It's pretty interesting because online is something that's new for me. Specifically, I occasionally play Fortnite. I have the Injustice game. I'll go on to Injustice. And with Injustice, it's not really play, It's not really cheating. It's just the fact that I'm not good which is why your boy Joe's already challenged me to Mortal Kombat 11 because he knows I'm not good with fighting games unless I'm cheating with, like, Ryu. But the thing about online cheaters is it's like, it's almost like a victimless crime in the sense of, like, yeah, you know, so you decided that you were going to camp out in a corner or something like that and shoot people every time they respawn. It, for me, it doesn't feel like there's you're really hurting anybody. So when it comes to online games, I don't see much impact as long as it's not professionals cheating other professionals where there's money involved and there's careers and livelihood involved. Well, there's different types of cheaters too, man. So like, let's just say you're farming for some gear, right? And there's a glitch in the matrix. And that glitch <laughs> in the matrix says that I can get this top tier gear if I run this and it's only 10 seconds to get in and get out and get some gear. Everybody's human and it's human nature to be like that. If you can do it, does that make it cool? Nowadays, it's like, hey, if, if I can do it, you should be able to do it. And if you can't do it, that's your fault, not mine. That's the way it is. I'm like, learn how to do it. There was this glitch in Overwatch with Genji that my son can do. You could do double slash and go from one corner to the other corner and sneak up from the people from behind. I can't do it, but I watch him do it relentlessly. Every time I did it, I died. So, hey, if I can't do it and he could do it, a hey, power to him. I'm with you on the cheating to an extent. I think sometimes you bust outside the map that's you know disingenuous. One thing that... uh. Apex is doing, they're not really stopping cheaters, but what they're going to stop is people from quitting out on matches, which is probably a bigger pet peeve than mine than people cheating, because you can just go into another lobby and you don't have to deal with them anymore. People quitting out of matches in a game like Apex Legends, you're sitting there in a squad, and as soon as you lose a teammate, I'm not saying you're completely done, but you're more or less done. Like, you need to have a full squad to be successful in that game consistently. What they plan on doing is if you quit mid-match three times, they're going to put you in a five-minute cooldown, which is basically, you know, you're going to miss out on playing at least, you know, at least starting of another game. So it's going to avoid people from quitting 
you know, three times in a row. What do you guys think about that? Well, the piggyback on the cheater thing, <laughs> if it's three times, then I'll be like, oh, I can do it one, maybe twice, <laughs> and then I'll have to suffer the third match. What they should do is, like, in Overwatch, what they did to try to eliminate that is every time you would leave a game, not only would you have to wait, like, 15 minutes, I think, or something like that, you would also lose, let's just say coins. I can't remember what it is, but you lose coins where you couldn't, you couldn't uh, get any more of your golden guns because you're losing some points. And I think they should do something like that. Yeah, that's a long cooldown period. 15 minutes is a long time. Yeah, but it's going to make you think. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely would. <laughs> so I, I think it's a move in a perfect direction. Because to your point, Matt, in order to really go well in a lot of online games now, you need a team. And a lot of these players are just... Rage quit is obviously a huge thing, but when rage quit affects other people on your team, it's like now your teammates are less apt to play this game because all these rage quits are just going unchecked. So I just think it's a perfect move. And I, I like what Joe talked about with Overwatch, where it's like there's this step here, but people are just going to figure out a way around that. So let's make a way where it like permanently hurts you or, or the hit is more significant because the worst thing is, yeah, cheating, you know, it's one thing when you don't realize someone else is cheating, but it's another thing when you're playing a game and all of a sudden your teammate just keeps quitting and now you're screwed. So uh, just for gameplay for other people, I think this is a move in the right direction because you need to make sure that when you're playing a game, your behavior doesn't negatively impact someone that's supposed to be on your team when the whole purpose of the game is to interact as a team. Definitely. Right. And you know what else ruined it, man? See, like, when we were young, everybody wanted to play like Mike, right? Michael Jordan. <laughs> so everybody went to court, didn't finally realize some people cannot play like Michael Jordan. So what ruined it, I think, is twitch live streams on twitch youtube of these gamers that are playing and all these kids or adults that watch the videos think they can emulate them and every time something doesn't go their way they get mad because they're like they expect to be just as good as the people that they watch and they're not that good and so they're always bashing people around them because they think they're just as good as who they want to emulate but they suck so they always rage quit to get mad when someone doesn't go to where they're supposed to go. Someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do. You know, I think that just ruined everything because not everybody's good. If that was the case, you'd be making a lot of money on streams or freaking YouTube, to be honest. that That's perfect, Joe, because I remember back in the day, to your point, everybody thought if they made it onto the basketball team that they were going to get an NBA contract. And the next thing you know, even if they weren't Michael Jordan, they were going to sit on the bench and make like 300 K a year. Well, now the problem is we have people who you don't even have to try out to get onto the apex team or the overwatch team. The only thing you have to do is just buy the game or download the game. And now you think you're going to grow up and be like a streamer. You're going to be on the Overwatch team and it doesn't happen. You're never going to get that Twitch account. But people don't, ha they don't even have that gate that they had before where you have to qualify 
to try to be the best. So you think you are, you think, oh, I'm going to watch this person stream on Twitch for a little bit, see what they do, and then be able to do the same thing. So that unrealistic expectation, it's like that just creates gamers that, quite frankly, you don't even want to play with because First of all, they think they're better than they are. You know they suck. And when you present them with the fact that they suck too because you beat them in a game, suddenly you shatter their world and they keep rage quitting. So you're 110% right, man, because now everybody wants to be the Michael Jordan of gaming. And unfortunately, uh, kids sitting behind your computer at 14, 15 years old, you will never be the Michael Jordan of gaming. So get back to the books and stop rage quitting yo and another thing bro dukes remember when we used to play you know what we wanted to is online gaming bro because you remember you went we had to take our sorry butts to the arcade and put in a quarter bro and there was a line to play the person that was kicking everybody's butt did you rage quit no did you hit the computer screen no did you get look at him and get mad no because the dude's staring at you while he's kicking your ass so what you do when you lose? You put your quarter back on there with the other stack of the quarters and you wait your turn to play again, dude. Online gaming, dude, it's so easy for them to rage and quit and walk away and scream and yell. You wouldn't do that in front of me, homie, if I'm waxing that ass and you're right next to me to the left of me. <laughs> and it, that's what's wrong with it. Because, dude, I used to kick little kids' butts when they come and play. Hey, little kid, you ain't got no business over here. And I used to smoke them. He gave me a little look and he got mad, but he put another quarter there. And that's what's wrong. All these young kids and even adults, dude, they get so mad that they rage quit. And, and you know, if you got to rage quit, that means you ain't good enough because, you know, Michael Jordan never rage quit. Michael Jordan, if he was behind, he would play to his full potential and win the game. So obviously you kids ain't that good. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yo, you bring up the, the basketball thing makes me feel bad. Though I went to a small high school. I made the basketball team, man. My vertical <laughs> leap is like two inches. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Matt, you did it the right way because you knew that this wasn't your career. So you went <laughs> gaming. You went the other way, bro. You were ahead of everybody, man. That's right. I knew for, I forgot, like, this is not working out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys, do you guys know about Bioware at all? Yeah, I know some of the games. So to give you some history, they made like uh, Knights of the Old Republic is probably one of the, the biggest games they were known for. Uh, they made Mass Effect. Uh, which right. is, you know, one of their more recent, you know, games. Um, there was a huge article that came out by Jason Schreier. Uh, he posted it on Kotaku. Uh, I'm going to read it to you guys for just a minute. Um, it's kind of, it's a little long, but I'm going to go as quick as I can. And then I just want to see what you guys think about what he had to say. Because it's, it's, it's really important to how people are treated, you know, at some of these big corporations in the industry. But, uh. Jason wrote, Anthem was originally titled uh, Beyond, leading up to right before their big reveal at E3 2017. But less than a week before EA's E3 press conference was to be held, the name was changed. It turned out trademarking Beyond would be too difficult for the legal department, and they had to come up with a new name quickly. This was even after that they had t-shirts printed with the name Beyond ready to go for E3. Uh, Anthem fell short both by critics and fans alike, uh, twice in a row. Now, after Mass Effect Andromeda was released in 2017, so that was the second time they had, like, a flop. It's a story of two studios, one in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and another in Austin, Texas, that grew resentful towards one another, thanks to a tense, lopsided relationship. It's a story of a video game that was 
in development for nearly seven years, but didn't enter production until the final 18 months, thanks to big narrative reboots, major design overhauls, and leadership team, uh, and a leadership team that said to be unable to provide a consistent vision and unwillingness to listen to feedback. Perhaps most alarming is a story about a studio in crisis. Dozens of developers, many of them a decade-long veterans, have left Bioware over the past two years. Some who have worked in Bioware's longest-running office in Edmonton talk about depression and anxiety. Many say that their co-workers had to take a stress leave. One former Bioware developer told me they would frequently find a private room in the office, shut the door, and just cry. Another person said depression and anxiety are an epidemic within Bioware. The root cause of all this was a lack of vision, said one former Bioware developer making. What are we making? Please tell us. The recurring theme was there is no vision, there is no clarity, there is no single director saying this is how it all works. And then someone wrote in asking us about this topic. Uh, Richard wrote in and asked, what do you guys think has had such a detrimental effect on the studio over the years? Is this EA's doing or has Bioware simply lost its magic or fire on its own? What Bioware experienced is what I'll say Telltale Games experienced, and those are the two companies that come to mind for me, first of all. The thing I kept hearing in that article is lack of vision. I think that when it comes to developers, they have to have a creative outlet, and it has to go somewhere. You just can't keep telling a developer, uh, put a pixel here, uh, put a sprite there, without knowing at the end of the day, what are you hoping to create? Because even though there's a technical side to being a developer, at the end of the day, a developer is an artist. And an artist goes into every painting, every picture, every drawing with a picture in their head of what they're going to create. And when there's no picture, an artist is not going to be able to make something, whether you're a singer and you're trying to get your hook together, your song together. An artist has to know what they want their masterpiece to look like. And the leadership, they weren't artists. Uh, they were businessmen, they were bean counters, but they weren't developers and they weren't artists. And it sounds like that was the biggest problem with Bioware. Yeah, but do you think it's more Bioware's fault or EA? Because aren't they under EA's banner? They are under both. Uh, you know, EA owns Bioware. They purchased them. Right. I mean, so, I, I think it's both things. Honestly, it's it's a little of EA and it's a little of Bioware. Uh, the the main studio. I think it was their studio and uh, was like the the most renowned studio that they had. And it always seemed like they had an A team, a B team, and a C team. And they always treated each other like that too. Like they're you know their their team in uh, Texas. I think it was in Austin. Was like the B team, and the A team always taught you know talk down upon the B team. They wouldn't listen to their ideas. And the C team was the ones who made uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and they got closed down shortly after Andromeda came out. So they, uh, there was just no respect anywhere. And I think that was, you know, it should start there, but definitely the leadership and the lack of it hurt them greatly. But to, to, to Joe's point, was that being forced upon them by EA or was this decisions that were, you know, that Bioware was failing to implement on? I think it's a tough question to ask. But Casey Hudson had left. He was like the one of the studio leads, and he came back to finish uh, Bioware. And it seemed like once he came back, they got some some vision back, and like he gave them some direction. So I think him coming back was the best thing that could have happened to Bioware. Right, because isn't like I think I think I read somewhere, maybe I'm wrong, but didn't like isn't um, EA losing the Star Wars franchise to make video games? 
Well, they're, they're, they had a 10-year deal. They're in, I think this is year six. The public does not want EA to have the license overall. Like, they only made two games. They were both pretty underwhelming. Exactly. But uh, Disney, the holder of the license, doesn't really care. As long as they don't have to create anything and they can license it out and cash a big old check, I don't really think they care who makes Star Wars games, which, right. is, a, which is a problem. But follow me, though. EA is going to lose Star Wars. They could. With, why, though? And then why do the fans hate that they make Star Wars games? Because they're not good at what they do, obviously. One. And if I'm going to buy a basketball game, I'm not buying EA Live. I'm buying 2K. Right? I think it's so, how EA treats people. Yeah, exactly. So that why wouldn't BioWare be any different? If so, if if I'm a super, if I'm a manager, right, and I treat my people badly, and I see my supervisor doing the same thing, case in point in A, and I have another supervisor in B doing something wrong, and I'm not doing anything about it, is it really my supervisors or is it me because I'm the top leadership? You are so right, Joe. I think five, maybe ten years from now. Uh, Matt will be doing a broadcast on the downfall of EA, and <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, bro, because if you look at EA with my limited scope of video gaming, EA used to be the games that everybody went to, like their sports game, like Joe talked about, right? Initially, EA were the games you wanted to go to, but whether it be their sports games, whether it be their Star Wars franchise, it's just been this slow decline. So to Joe's point, if the parent company is going to kick out trash and treat its employees like trash, we expect the same thing to happen with the subsequent companies that they're responsible for. So, Joe, you're 100% right. EA kicks out some trash, EADC kicking out trash. And so basically, it's just going to be it's going to be a downhill slide. I see EA unless they have a huge shift in their leadership in their commitment to quality, 510, they're done. They're going to go the way of like LGN games. They're going to go the LGN. way of other you remember LJN? Oh, don't I remember like LJN. You don't, bro. Oh man, they're gonna go the same <laughs> way. Where it just became about it, it's just like we got this license. We're gonna pump this crap out. A certain a certain element will buy the game, but at the end of the day, the real consumers, the people that are passionate about the games, are gonna stop buying because of the way that they've treated the consumers and their staff. Yeah, I think uh, they definitely need to change things and like. They just um, they just announced actually a new Star Wars game which is coming out this year from uh, Respawn. Uh, they're doing a new Star Wars game, and they touted like, "Oh, this game is going to be single player only. There's no multiplayer. There's no microtransactions. Uh, I think they might have said there's no DLC in it either. Which is like, this is all stuff people have wanted for a long time. So I think it's just them recognizing that and being like, "Okay, all the things you hated about Battlefront are not here." whatsoever which okay uh, to, to try to give you the benefit of the doubt that's cool but then you canceled amy hennig's game which was a single player driven game which was supposed to be like you know uncharted but like star wars you cancel that because you say there's no market for single player games and now you allow respawn to make a single player story driven star wars game which doesn't make any like they literally canceled her game like within the past year it doesn't make any sense i don't know what they're thinking i think what they're probably thinking is 
What's the biggest, fastest cash grab? Probably. Right. I mean, if you look at, I mean, you know, they're, they got people watching them. You got Fortnite blowing up. You got Apex Legends blowing up. So that's what they're looking at. They're not really looking at, like, the true hardcore gamers that like to play. Because, you know, like, they just assume everybody wants to play online. Sometimes you don't want to play online. Sometimes you just want to play just you against the, the, the AI. Right. And, Did- it, and it gets lost in transition because everything's online. I mean, I mean, you look at everything. Twitch streams is always multiplayer, really. If you look at the amount of views that, say, a, a streamer will get, will get more playing online against other people than a regular solo game used against the AI. And so I think that's what they're looking at. It's unfortunate because I think if me, if I'm trying to make money, why not tap into both? You know, why am I going to single myself out? If I know there's a market for both, why not make money? I mean, isn't that what the world is made of money? Yeah, they, they're definitely doing it wrong. I mean, they, they own Bioware. Why is there not a new Knights of the Old Republic? Why, why is that not existing? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Like, just go to Bioware in Austin, who made the original one, and be like, hey, you want to do that again? <laughs> like, it's like it's printing money. Like, who, right. who's running that studio? Like, right. the, who's running EA? Like, what are you doing, man? Just have them make another Knights of the Republic. You'll make tons of money. But it, was, it wasn't single, you know, no more single-player games until this. So, uh, are, you guys, uh, are you guys on PlayStation or Xbox? I don't even think I've asked you that before. I am on Xbox. Xbox? Yeah. I'm on I, Xbox. All right. How about you? I got one of everything. I got a little bit of each. Um, I do have a PlayStation. And something that is important to a lot of PlayStation owners, a big thing happened this week. It doesn't affect me. I'm cool with my name. But you can now change your name on uh, PlayStation, which is awesome because, you know, if you got a PS3, when they first came out, you know, back in like 20, 2013, sometime around there, yeah. you might have grown up a little since then. You might have had, you know, Stink Palm 69 or something. You might not, you might be a little bit embarrassed of that name now. So you might want to change it. Now you <laughs> finally can with being able to keep your trophies and everything. There's a lot of caveats where you want to be careful. Um, Sony stated that we do want to take this opportunity to clarify one point. As a result of the preview program, which was their testing grounds for this, we found an instance where a game did not fully support the feature, even though it was originally published after April 1st, 2018. All PS4 games originally published on or after April 1st, 2018 have been developed to support the online ID change feature. However, since they have not all been specifically tested with the feature, we cannot guarantee that they will support it. So the date doesn't mean anything anymore <laughs> if they haven't checked them. Uh, yeah. So you might you might run into some problems even after the game was published after April 1st, 2018. And then for your older games, they have a whole... You can go check out the blog post on PlayStation. They have a whole list of things where that specific games can cause problems with your name change. Well, it, it sounded good, but it seems like they still got to get most of the bugs worked out. We're picking some whack names, man. You just lost some money on that. I think you could have, like, actually, like, well, at the time, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would pay to change their name, especially if they picked the wrong one. Yeah, people have been beating the drum for this for years. People have wanted it for a long time. Like, yeah, they, they could charge people money for it, but it's it sounds super simple. It sounds like an easy thing to do. And if it was that easy, they would have done it a long time ago. But the, the problem was when they developed the architecture on the PS3, when they decided to go to their online stuff, Whatever name you create it, 
was the name that was embedded in the back end on PlayStation's, I guess, their servers, right? So yeah. your name was your name, period. Xbox, somebody at Xbox thought ahead, and it doesn't matter what name you create, they associate you by a number. So mm. your number is the same, but you can change your name 8 million times. It doesn't matter. You're still the same number at the end of the day. So Microsoft was very can very simply change their name. When I think you pay them a fee, actually. I think it is about $5, and you can change yeah. your name as much as you want. But it's because they chose to choose a number as opposed to Sony, who chose yeah. whatever name you actually chose. Because I think, I think Microsoft, the first one's free, if I believe, and then you got to pay if you want to change it again. Yeah, play, PlayStation's going to be the same way. Like, yeah. they're, they're giving you one for free, and then after that, uh, you can revert back to your old name for free at any time. Yeah. But if you want to change it to a whole other name, after the first one, they're going to charge you. I, I watched Dark Towers, bro. I changed my name on Xbox to Gunslinger, and it didn't cost me anything. I'm just saying. Speaking of Xbox, but they made the announcement today. So it's called the Xbox One S All Digital Edition, and the internet is making fun of it, calling it the Sad Edition. So Ooh, the Xbox battle. One S All Digital Edition. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree with them. This is stupid. It's a waste of time and development resources. Um, but the information I've retrieved here was from IGN. Brandon Tyrell wrote the article. I just took bullet points from it. The cost of the system is $250. That means it's $50 cheaper than uh, the reg regular Xbox One S. It comes out on May 7th. It has a one terabyte hard drive, same as the Xbox One S. It includes three digital games, Forza Horizon 3, Sea of Thieves, Minecraft. Pre-orders are going to start at some online retailers. Again, not everywhere, some online retailers. At the same time, or, or that same day, they also made an announcement. This, this is the best part of this, is that Game Pass is going to be combined with Xbox Live. So for $15 a month, you'll get access to Xbox Live and Xbox Game Pass, which is, like, that's the coolest thing in the whole announcement. Why, like, do you guys have feelings about this before I tear it apart? So, uh, like you said, the, the Game Pass, that's cool. 15 bucks a month combining with Xbox Gold, that's cool. As far as the Xbox Sad Edition, the only thing I see there is I don't have a One S, so I'm, gonna, I'm glad I waited because I'll save 50 bucks when I get my new Sad Xbox. So, other than that, I mean, thank you, thank you, Microsoft. But other than that, I don't see a need. I don't see a need for a sad edition. To me, it would have made more sense just to reduce the price on the One S and and roll it out that way. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Alan, man, dude. I'm tired of these P Diddy remixes, man. That's why Puff Daddy don't do any more remixes because obviously it doesn't <laughs> work no more. They just need to buckle down and create something new. Fifty dollars, like basically, what they did was that it's the same thing as an Xbox One S. They've removed the optical uh, drive to read games, so it doesn't take any physical media whatsoever. You can only play digital stuff. You can only stream things to it. And for that to only be $50 cheaper is crazy to me. And, and not only that, there's Xboxes are constantly on sale. If you, go, if you go online right now, I guarantee you, you will find an Xbox less than $250 that comes with an optical drive. Some retailer has that, for sure. So... I don't know what the hell they're thinking. Like maybe, the, yeah, maybe the price will come down more if like the regular S's come down. Maybe the digital edition will also come down. That's obviously not clear at this point because it's not even out yet. So one of the things that we talked about before, Matt, is the current or let's say upcoming generation of gamers 
only wants digital. They don't want to touch a disc. They don't want to have to deal with anything other than downloading their content. Perhaps this is a way for Microsoft to appeal to that specific audience. I definitely can see that. But at the same time, it's not a big enough gap in money. If this thing was $200, okay. If it's $199 compared to $299, I get that. But for a $50 difference where I can play, you know, uh, I can upscale 4K Blu-rays and stuff in the system, I, I don't know. It seems worth 50 extra dollars to me. But we'll have to see what a... They haven't announced their new console yet, too. I'm sure they're probably going to do that around the corner. But Sony just started talking about the PlayStation... I'm sorry. They, they're calling it the next generation PlayStation. It's going to be called PlayStation 5. Let's just agree it's going to be called PlayStation 5. They'd have to be <laughs> irrefutably stupid to not call the system the PlayStation 5. So there was an article uh, on Wired, Peter Rubin. This was an exclusive article by them. All of those uh, putting faith into the rumors that Sony would possibly stealth launch the game this year or the system this year in 2019. Sony put those to rest. It is not happening in 2019 for sure. 3D audio, he seemed very excited about that. It's going to be redefining sound for video games is what he had to say. Current, this is awesome for me, current PSVR headsets are going to be compatible with the new hardware. So solid state drives are going to have faster load times. They showed an example. The guy, Mark Cerny took a minute to show the uh, the guy who was interviewing him uh, a load from Spider-Man on a PS5 dev kit. I'm just going to keep calling it PS5 because I don't care. Um, so he showed him a load time on a regular PS4. It took 15 seconds for this scene to load. It took 0.8 seconds, 0.8 seconds with the new uh, solid state drives that they have. So that that's pretty cool. If the load times are that short, that's awesome. Uh, it's going to support support 8K visuals. It's going to have this feature called ray tracing, which I don't fully understand, but it's going to produce more impressive uh, graphics. And it will accept physical media. So it'll be digital and physical. What do you guys think about PlayStation 5 so far with the very limited knowledge that we have of it? It sounds freaking awesome. The only reason why I wouldn't want to buy one is just because I would want to see how Microsoft responds. Granted, we just talked about the SAD, so... You know, Microsoft probably won't respond that well, but this PS5 just sounds amazing. And to me, it sounds more like the the gaming systems can't just be gaming systems anymore. They have to be sort of media control centers for every aspect of your entertainment, whether it be your online streaming for your movies or your games or uh, your television shows, things of that nature. So basically, it sounds like that's this is what it's going to give us, in addition to playing some badass games. So it sounds really exciting to me. Yeah, I think most of this is some really good stuff. Um, and furthermore, who is supporting 8K stuff? They, they don't even have 4K visuals on television channels, let alone 8K. So no, no TV channel is going to support that. Blu-rays are, you know, you can get an ultra-high-definition 4K Blu-ray, and 4K is just becoming a standard with that. Nobody's really doing anything with 8K. The, the load times are fantastic. The VR is uh, fantastic. It being backwards compatible, uh, I forgot to mention that, it's backwards compatible with PS4 games. That is fantastic. And the 3D audio, I don't know how much audio can get better than where we're already at, 
Well, he said it's going to be optimized for headsets. Like, obviously, headphones are going to be the way to play. But it will also be compatible with surround sound and things like that. But that means you have to... The developers are going to have to utilize that tool. Are they going to utilize that tool is the question. How many of the people developing your games are going to use that? I guarantee you Sony's in-house studios, the... I don't know how many studios they own. Let's say it's eight studios that they own. All of them will use that. Outside of that wheelhouse, who's going to use that? I don't know. Right. I'm not sure. The, o- wait? the only reason I continue to stick with my Xbox is backwards compatibility. There's some games that I love on my Xbox. I had a 360. That's why I got the one. But I'm finding less and less of my games from my 360 are backwards compatible with my one that I'd even want to play. So I think when this PS5 comes out, I'm going to make the jump. But I'm definitely getting a PS4 for sure, or a PS5 for sure. And I'm definitely getting an Xbox, so it's going to be an expensive year when those come out. This has actually been a very exciting time or, or you know, a few weeks as far as gaming news goes. So thank you for compiling all the information and keeping us all up to date, man. It's pretty awesome. If you guys want to follow me, I'm uh, at from NJ to CA, and the two is the number two on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. It's Matthew Morozzi on Facebook, M-A-R-O-Z-Z-I, and Matt Morozzi on YouTube. I only have two videos, but there'll be more stuff up there soon. As always, if you enjoyed this episode of the Nerd World Order broadcast, we'd appreciate whether you're listening to us on Stitcher, whether you're listening to us on uh, iTunes, whether you're listening to us on whatever, because we try to be everywhere. Leave us a five-star review. uh, Give us comments. Let us know what you think about the broadcast. Throw Uh, us some questions, too. I'd like to get some more questions in on the show. I don't know. We had a couple this time, but next time I'd like to get some more. So I will say, ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd World Order, I am NWO, we are NWO, and let your nerd flags fly.